Hello, I'm Eddie French, and you might recognise me from such icy news noises as... <coughs> Daddy! And who could forget... <coughs> well, the good news is, is that I now have my own podcast. It's called Pick Scraped, and it is a fortnightly sketch show uh, made entirely by me. So if that sounds like the sort of thing you'd like, go to wherever you get your podcasts and listen to it. Thank you. Pick Scraped. You're listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. The UK records no daily COVID deaths for the first time since the start of the first lockdown. As a direct result of the vaccine programme and every statistician in the country taking a three-day weekend over the bank holiday. Boris Johnson applies the logic of his own child support payments to England's Covid catch-up programme and decides that the nation's poorest kids will make do with 50 quid and a birthday card once every three years or so. The government infuriates the travel industry by taking Portugal off the green list for international travel, with Grant Shapps offering the travel industry even less wiggle room than the seats on a Ryanair flight. And finally, passengers travelling back from the Champions League final are horrified to find themselves contacted by Test and Trace, and warned that they may have come into contact with Michael Gove. Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Gore, and you're listening to another episode of IC News. We're deep into season four, the shark has been well and truly jumped, and pretty soon we're going to have to brutally kill off a popular character for good just to manufacture some artificial interest. And definitely not because live comedy's starting to come back, and at least one of our correspondents actually has a career to return to. Foreshadowing! I've heard it's a very effective dramatic device when done subtly. We open tonight's show with education, and the government's plans to help the nation's schoolchildren catch up with their learning after the disruption of the last year. They've been about as well-received as a ticking package from the Unabomber, and Boris Johnson has once again found himself facing a public backlash over his attitude towards the nation's most disadvantaged children. Tom King's had the keys to the Dimensional Gate this week, and he's here to explain just what's gone wrong with the government's strategy. Thanks, Sam. I'm here today to talk about education, so if you'll indulge me, I'll start in the exact same way that I blagged my way through any GCSE English essay that I couldn't be fucked with. The Oxford English Dictionary defines education as a process of teaching, training and learning to improve knowledge and develop skills. For education to be effective, it requires students to gain a thorough understanding of a concept and then apply that understanding in context. Now, why do I bring that up? Well, it's simple, really. To highlight the fact that it's been 11 years now and the Conservatives have still learned nothing from the absolute fucking mess they've made of education in England. The Tories have spent years pushing reforms that emphasise the importance of useless academic knowledge, like the ability to recognise a split infinitive. And now they've decided to boldly go and tell the country that all England's struggling kids deserve is 10% of the cash that's actually needed to help them catch up. I don't know if you uh, noticed how clever I was there. To boldly go is a split infinitive, you see. (sighs) Who says jokes aren't funny if you need to explain them? 
Look, it's been three days since the catch-up czar, Sir Kevan Collins, stepped down over this row. He did so after being appointed by the government back in February, having been given the sole responsibility of developing and costing a long-term plan to help pupils make up for the learning they've lost in the pandemic. Essentially, Boris Johnson hired a man to help him figure out the answer to a problem he was struggling with. You know, like a tutor. The ones he thinks the kids should listen to. That problem turned out to be 5 plus 5, and Kevin Collins then told Boris the answer was 10. Then Rishi Sunak piped up at the back of the class, and he insisted that the answer is actually 1. Now, instead of listening to Kevin Collins, Boris Johnson has chosen to copy Sunak's homework instead, because he's a thick cunt. And as a result, Collins has resigned. Because really, what's the point in even trying to teach thick cunts who only ever listen to other thick cunts? Collins quitting is obviously another embarrassing blow for Boris, who's been quick to insist that more spending for catch-up learning is in the pipeline. But if that were remotely true, Collins would have been aware of it, and the government would have saved themselves the embarrassing spectacle of his resignation. The willful ignorance of the government when it comes to the long-term economic value of investing in education isn't the only problem facing the nation's kids. Hell, it might even work in the Tories' favour. The more higher education you go through, the more critical thinking skills you tend to develop, and in election years, those are always a bit of a nuisance for the Conservatives. That being said, the biggest threat to the future of the nation's school children remains the politicians who are directly in charge of them. Now, that's true in Scotland, where Shirley Ann Somerville has just announced her plans to reform the SQA, and it's horrifyingly true in England. Now, this is Earth Delta Adverb Dunning-Kruger 42, and it's the best place I could think of to show you the consequences of putting the wrong people in charge. Here... When a politician inexplicably survives enough scandals and accusations of incompetence, they're deemed bulletproof by default and worthy of preserving forever. Their brains are physically removed, suspended in nutrients and plugged directly into a government computer network where they're able to dictate policy by algorithm. And this guy here, he survived more scandals than anyone. I am the one named Gavin Williamson. I know and see all. Oh, I see. Omnipotent, are you? That's not really fair. You can see that I'm a brain in a jar. It's hardly surprising that I can't use my penis anymore. No, it, it, it means... Oh, you know what? Never mind. Gavin here was given the responsibility of planning the government's Covid catch-up programme a while back, and it's fair to say it hasn't gone well. Well, I disagree with you there, Tom. That 1.4 billion, particularly when you factor in the real terms cut of 200 million or so that we made to the pupil premium, really made the world of difference. Altogether, that's 1.6 billion going directly to the most disadvantaged children. It's 1.2 billion, Gavin. That's how a cut works. I hate to correct you again, Tom, but that's just not proper maths. You take some away, and then you have more. It's basic addition, I think. That's right, isn't it? Holy shit, what was that? Oh, just the war. I'm still Defence Secretary here as well, you see. It's fair to say that's going splendidly, too. Right, fuck this, I'm off. 
Best of luck, Gavin. I'm Tom King, and unbelievably, he's still probably better than Michael Gove at this. Reporting for IC News. Was that a compliment? I honestly don't know anymore. I hear them so rarely. Speaking of thoroughly unpalatable meat that's been drowned in chemicals, over in the States this week we had the news of yet another serious and sustained cyber attack, as hackers this time attacked the systems of the Brazilian firm JBS, a meat processing company with plants all over the US. Those plants were effectively shuttered by a ransomware attack that locked them out of their own systems, raising serious questions about the role cyber warfare now plays on the global stage. Here's Alison June-Smith with more. War. War never changes. Sorry about that. It's a great tagline for a video game, but it's also absolute bullshit. War changes all the time. If it didn't, we'd all still be bashing each other's heads in with rocks over who gets to eat the juiciest mammoth testicle. And everyone knows we don't do that anymore. Instead, we indiscriminately bomb cities and maim children. You know, over who gets to burn the crude oil made from the juiciest mammoth testicles. Which I think we can all agree is much more civilized. As we move deeper into the 21st century, more and more of the battle lines of modern warfare are being drawn online. And no. I'm not talking about furious teenagers screaming their pent-up sexual aggression into their Xbox headsets. If you're anything like me, you'll have an exciting picture in your head when you hear the term cyber warfare. Sexy, emotionless goths in trench coats, hammering away at keyboards at lightning speed, dodging bullets and diving through rolling screens of bright green code. The reality is nowhere near as glamorous obviously. For a start, all that leather in the middle of summer is a nightmare. It's just a recipe for pooling sweat and thrush, guys. Telk up already. Joking aside, there's no doubt that cyber criminals and hostile foreign actors are becoming more and more organized and effective in the way they operate. We've seen several stories over the last few months about sophisticated and coordinated online attacks grinding key industries and infrastructure to a halt. Ransomware attacks are becoming more and more common, and they've started targeting key commodities like energy and agriculture. The attack on JBS is just the latest. Just a few weeks ago, gas supplies across the U.S. were affected when another ransomware strike shut down America's largest fuel pipeline. The criminal group involved in that attack walked away with $4.4 million from the pipeline's owners. That's a significant sum of money. But sorry, guys, it's still not enough to get me to date a guy in a trench coat. I get it. You listen to Tool. That's not a substitute for a personality. A long-term lack of investment in IT infrastructure and cybersecurity has left many countries' critical systems vulnerable to criminal groups and state-sponsored hacking attacks. And such attacks are often difficult to trace, making them an ideal method for covert state aggression. 
Expensive and disruptive cyber attacks cost their target countries millions, maybe even billions, meaning that rogue nations can effectively wield them, tit for tat, against economic sanctions. They certainly seem to be a favored method of Vladimir Putin's Russia, with the Dark Side Hacking Collective being notable for their distinct lack of Russian-speaking targets. Sure, they claim to be a business venture with no geopolitical interests, but if you appear to be based in Russia and hack American systems like Russia, you're probably Russia. And nothing has more potential to piss off America than shutting down the beef industry for a few days. That place is already a fucking social tinderbox just waiting to explode. <laughs> Can you imagine the fireball you'd get if McDonald's had nothing but veggie patties for a week? It's why I'm grateful. I live here, an old blighty. Sure, we've suffered the occasional cyber attack, like the one that hit the NHS a couple years back, but the NHS still uses fax machines for Christ's sake. <laughs> In terms of high-value targets, you may as well hack a Tamagotchi. Britain may be behind the curve in terms of its general IT security, but in one way at least, it's already way ahead of political-motivated hackers. You can't fuck a country's system if they've already voted Boris Johnson's Brexit and fucked it all by themselves. And you can bet we've reached that decision without the toxic influence of another cyber warfare's favorite methods, online misinformation. Here in the UK, we're too smart for all of that shit. I'm Allison June Smith, and I won't be getting my vaccine because I know all about the 5G Big Pharma want to put in my blood. Reporting for IC News. As the country tries to get back to normal and looks forward to the Schrodinger's easing of lockdown that may or may not happen, Brits everywhere are slowly getting back to work. But many employers are now finding that they simply cannot get the staff they need. With Weatherspoon's boss and third-place contestant in a Wurzel Gummidge lookalike contest, Tim Martin this week showing a truly spectacular lack of self-awareness. Facing severe staff shortages across his network of pubs, the enthusiastic supporter of Brexit called on the government to relax visa rules for EU workers. Joining us live to discuss the staffing shortages facing key sectors of the UK economy, it's Danny Sutcliffe. Hi Sam. I'm hearing one of the least awful weather spoons, and let me tell you, what they're facing now is an absolute shit show. The lack of gratitude for me, you workers, is enough to make you sick. Going over there, refusing to do our jobs, just because we told them they're not welcome anymore. This isn't the Brexit I voted for. You didn't vote for fewer EU nationals working in the UK, then? The fuck are you talking about? Of course I did. Sorry, Danny, I'm just not sure I quite follow your logic here. It's very simple, Sam. I voted for a Brexit that unshackled us from the EU and lowered immigration, while also retaining all the benefits of EU membership and never inconveniencing me in the slightest. That's what I was promised. Well, I hate to beat a dead horse here, but plenty of us did warn you for quite some time that Brexit was never going to work out that way. Yeah, you did. And it was your Project Fear Remainer nonsense that sabotaged our negotiating position. This... This is all your fault. You and your metropolitan elites. Oh, for fuck's sake, Danny, take some bloody responsibility. 
You can't vote to shit on your own cake and then eat it. I can't get any cake at all, you twat. There's nobody working in the cafes to serve it to me. Well, then the solution's fairly simple, isn't it? We need to lower the restrictive points threshold in Pretty Patel's discriminatory immigration plan, which as it currently stands excludes just about anybody hoping to work in the hospitality sector. No, we're not doing that. I didn't vote for that either. Then larger employers like Weatherspoons are just going to have to work harder to entice new British employees, aren't they? Maybe Tim Martin could try, I don't know, offering higher wages. Fucking hell, Pat. You don't get it, do you? I didn't vote Brexit to boost wages and improve living standards for British people. Hang on, didn't you? I don't know. Did I? I I can't remember anymore. We've had to move the goalposts a lot. Yeah, I've noticed that. Look, the point is that it's really very simple, and Tim Martin's right. Yes, he told all of his employees to fuck themselves and go and work for Tesco at the start of the pandemic. And yes, he was a huge supporter of Brexit. And yes, the work he generally offers is low-paid, uncompetitive and very dependent on a labour market where demand for jobs far outstrips the supply of workers. Sorry, is there a but coming? I can't think why there would be, Sam. I can't see anything in what I just said that would contribute towards his current staffing problem. You've got a real bunker mentality when it comes to the impact of Brexit. You do realise that, right? Well, a bunker mentality is what's needed, Sam. It's the blitz spirit that's going to get us through this labour crisis. Huddled together in dark, dingy spaces, hiding from a world, going to hell, eating terrible food that's come out of tins. That's what your average patriot looks like. Is it? Sorry, did I say Patriot? I meant Weatherspoon's customer. Let's just try and avoid focusing on Weatherspoon's, shall we? Yes, there's a certain amount of schadenfreude to be enjoyed in Tim Martin's struggle. Didn't we deport her as well? But this is a crisis for the entire hospitality sector and other industries that were dependent on the EU workforce. We've already had daffodil crops rotting in the fields with nobody to pick them. At what point did the government have to reverse course and admit that when it comes to the points threshold they've made a mistake? Never, Sam. We shall never surrender. We shall fail to employ them on the beaches and in the cafes and in the fields. Oh, good. More useless jingoism. I'm sure that'll fix the problem. It always does, Sam. Now, if you don't mind, I've been trying to order a drink for 40 minutes now. Danny, you're supposed to be at work. Well, if you wanted somebody with an actual work ethic, Sam, you should have hired a Romanian. I'm Danny Sutcliffe, reporting for IC News. Love! Hey, love! Fight a bitter over here, please! Actually, Danny might have the right idea. The sun's out, even here in Manchester, which either means the end of days is coming, or it's the three days of summer that we enjoy each year, so I think I might head to the pub. We'll be back the same time next week, but until then, we leave you, as always, with the headlines you may have missed. The Queen is set to meet US President Joe Biden when he visits the UK for the G7 summit next week. Between them, the two leaders have a combined 173 years of experience, meaning that Prince Andrew definitely won't be interested in joining them. The High Court rules that the Home Office's decision to house migrants at Napier Barracks was unlawful, proving once again that when it comes to immigration laws that actually matter, Pretty Patel is far pickier than any refugee trying to choose a country to settle in. The government faces a rebellion by its own MPs over its plans to cut the foreign aid budget. The rebels include former Prime Minister Theresa May, who has always insisted that British policy should only make brown people miserable once they actually arrive here. 
And finally, looking to boost his popularity with the British public, Keir Starmer appears on Life Stories, securing the knowledge that even the serial killers he has interviewed look positively likeable next to Piers Morgan. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you and goodbye. me, Danny Sutcliffe. I'm here today with a right bargain for you. And no, it's not just the mystery me I've got in the back of my van. Although that is also primo stuff, so meet me behind odd bins and flash your full beams if you're interested. If you haven't joined our Patreon yet, we've got a special offer for you. Sign up now as one of our early bird supporters and you can get access to all of our exclusive content for just £2 a month. If you want bonus podcast sketches, compilation episodes and ICU stories, this is the cheapest you're ever going to get them. You've got to be quick though, this deal is limited to the first 500 patrons and they'll get snapped up quick. It's the best way to show your support for the show and you'll be helping us to grow moving forwards. As always, thank you for all of your support and we hope you enjoy the show. And no, it's not badger me. And if Brian May tries to tell you otherwise, he's a fucking liar.